Welcome back to the um, Sunday Morning Bible Study Home Church series here um, at Mount Moore Baptist Church. I was reminded today that every day that the Lord gives us is a gift. And so just want to encourage you, wherever you are and whatever you're doing today, um, to be reminded of that truth, to acknowledge the gift that today is in your life and to acknowledge the gift that other people are in your life and um, and to acknowledge the gift that God's Word is to us as His people. And in recent days I've been reading and thinking about things and the reminder that, that how, how devoid and how empty my life would be apart from God's Word um, and Him at work through His Word by His Spirit. And so I just want to come this morning to God's Word with a sense of reverence, a sense of awe, and a sense of gratitude as we study it together. I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for the gift of this day. We acknowledge the gift of your presence. We acknowledge the gift of your spirit, of Christ, and of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace that we need as we study this passage from Ephesians to know better who it is that you call us to be in Christ, that we might be a living witness to the reality of the gospel that we believe. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. We've been traveling through Ephesians, and, and there's been so many passages with deep, theologically rich truths. And so we've, we've transitioned in recent days to recent weeks to the application of all of these theological truths that we've been studying and thinking about together. And so our passage for today is no different. And so I want you to think about in your own life, as you're applying the good news of what Christ has done for you, in relationship with other people, what does it look like for you to be conformed more into the image of Jesus as we work through these different relationships that we have? And we're going to start out very broadly in thinking about our relationships with other people in the family of faith in our, in our church. So I invite you to listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul, Paul talks to the, the believers in Ephesus and he says, think about um, what it looks like for you to make the best use of the time that God has entrusted to you. Um, last week, Ben ended with verse 14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's this emphasis that, that our time on earth really is short. And the time that God's given us, we need to be wise in how we invest that time. So then he thinks about what that looks like within the local community of faith there in Ephesus. And one of the things he says is, don't be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit, I think, is essential to Paul's understanding of what it looks like to be the church. That as the Holy Spirit dwells in us as followers of Jesus, then we're transformed more into the image of Christ and it shows up in how we live. So he talks to them and he says, 
in your speech address each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That as we live together in community, as we're transformed by the gospel, it ought to show up in how we worship together and even how we encourage each other outside of that corporate worship experience. And that we ought to always be giving thanks for everything that God's given us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if there's one thing that characterizes um, our current cultural moment, it's this sense that, that we as individuals um, aren't called to submit to anyone else. There is this independence. There is this spirit that I, as the individual, I'm the most important person in the group and, and sometimes in the world. And so I only participate, I'm only involved to the extent that I'm getting something or gaining something from my involvement. And, and Paul speaks to this in a powerful way and he says, no, in the community of faith, as you participate, acknowledging that the time is short, acknowledging the reverence you have for what Jesus has done for you, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How beautiful would it be in our local community of faith if, if we come together and we participate in the life of the church, not only with an eye to how this is going to impact me personally and my own spiritual life, but that I participate in the life of faith with my eyes up and my eyes open, looking around to how it is that God's calling me to use the gifts and the talents that He's entrusted to me to serve and build up others in the church. It's a theme that we've already seen in the book of Ephesians, but doing that requires that we willingly lay aside our rights, we willingly lay aside the things that we can do um, in an effort to yield ourselves fully to build up others in the body of Christ. And so I submit myself to others in the local community of faith in an effort to do what's best, not just for me, but what's best for them and what's best for everybody that's involved in, in a local church family. So what does that look like for you? I want you to think about that. Your participation in the life of Mount Brook Baptist Church, what does it look like for you to submit yourself to other people in the life of our church out of reverence for Christ? Um, dying to our own individualism, dying to our own sense of, of my rights, that I can do this and so I will do this. And instead, thinking about how does my participation in Mount Brook Baptist Church give witness to my belief that Jesus humbled Himself and became obedient by taking on flesh and became obedient even to the point of death so that I might share in the riches of the gospel. What would it look like for you to increasingly be involved in our church in such a way that, it, that it's not just about what you're getting, but you're laying aside your rights, you're laying aside what you could do in hopes that you might yield your life to the community of faith and build other people up um, in the faith. So he starts out big picture church. Now he's going to get down to even more personal, intimate relationships inside the home. And Paul's working from what would have been a common household code of his day. And he's going to talk about husbands and wives. He's going to talk about the relationship between fathers and children or, or parents and children. And then he's going to talk about the relationship between 
slaves or bond servants and their masters. And as we're working through these things, one of the things I think we have to always take into account as we're reading and trying to interpret the scriptures faithfully to our current cultural moment is that we're trying to see how Paul in his day applied the gospel to the current understandings of these cultural institutions like marriage and family and slaves and masters and then see what it looks like for us today to apply these same kind of principles um, as we understand these relationships now. So with that in mind, I want you to listen to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now Paul takes what would have been a common understanding of the marriage relationship in his day. And he applies the gospel to it. The example of what Jesus has done for us by going to the cross. And he says, I want you to think about how this changes or gives us a uniquely Christian understanding of the current cultural understanding of marriage that's at work in Ephesus. And so he first says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Um, this, this idea that in the relationship in marriage, as Paul is addressing it here in Ephesus, that, that wives were to live into what was already the dominant understanding of um, that the husband being the head of the marriage and the wife submitting to her husband's leadership. But to do so um, with her understanding shaped most fully about the way that the church submits to Christ as the head. Okay, now hang on to that. Now, the second thing he says in a much longer passage, I might note, he, he pushes into the, the understanding that was at work in their day of what it looks like for a husband to love his wife. Now, I think it's important that we understand that Paul is far surpassing anything that would have been up and running in his day. That when he calls husbands to lay down their lives, listen to what he says there again. Husbands, love your wives, verse 25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The, the image there would be um, Christ going to the cross and willingly laying down his life. Remember, nobody took Christ's life from him, but he willingly endured the cross. He laid down his life, gave himself up for us. And Paul says, listen to this, husbands, Paul says in the same way that Christ laid down his life for the church, so we as husbands are called to lay down our lives for our wives. Um, skip down um, to verse 
28. In the same way as Christ, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So I want you to think about the elevated sense of dignity that Paul gave to women in the first century as he was writing this. Um, Paul is asking the church not just to simply um, live into the cultural conventions they had been given, but he's asking husbands, notice again that the, the brunt of this passage is on how husbands are supposed to love their wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There is no understanding of marriage here in Ephesians 5 in which the husband would come in as um, a sovereign ruler where he's demanding what his will will be done, that he's demanding his rights. Instead, Paul is asking husbands to follow in the very example of Jesus and to love his wife even as Christ loved the church. In your marriage, if you are currently married, I want you to think about whether or not the gospel and the example of Jesus is shaping how you're living in relationship as husband and wife. I think this passage, and I think the overall narrative of Scripture, we're going to see this in a minute with slavery, leads us not just to say, okay, wives are only supposed to respect their husbands. That's not there for husbands. Or that husbands were only supposed to lay down their life for their wives. It's not there for the wives. But that, but that in our current cultural moment, how is it that we understand that husband and wife both would be so moved by the example of what Jesus did in laying down his life for us and our salvation, that we would enter into our marriage relationship with that same mindset, both husband and wife, reflecting on the goodness of what God has done for us in Jesus, having reverence and awe for who he is, and then we as husband and wife alike, entering into our marriage relationship and we're saying, Lord, what would it look like for me in relationship with my husband or in relationship with my wife to submit myself to this person out of reverence for Jesus? What would it look like for me not to demand my rights, not to demand what I want, but to willingly lay down my life for my spouse such that Jesus is on display in how I love my husband or how I love my wife? What a powerful way for us to bear witness to the difference that Jesus makes in our lives through our marriages. And remember, it's this covenantal love. Paul emphasizes that when he reaches back to Genesis and he says, the two have now become one flesh. When we think about the severing of that relationship of husband and wife, it ought to be in us this graphic picture, not of two people ending a contractual agreement. It ought to be in us this picture of flesh being torn apart. That as, that as followers of Christ, um, we sense the sacredness of this marriage covenant to the degree that we, we want Jesus' love, Jesus' unconditional commitment to us to be on display in how we love our spouse. And the marriage relationship is hard sometimes. At least mine is. Maybe your marriage is perfect and there's no challenges. But, but as we live, that marriage relationship is one that is um, you're most yourself most of the time with your spouse and likewise for your spouse with you. And so your sin is exposed most deeply in that relationship. And But also the gospel and the good news and the power of the Spirit at work can also most fully be revealed 
in that marital relationship. So if you're married, I want you to be asking yourself that question. How is the gospel and God's unconditional covenant love on display in how I'm loving my spouse? Um, and my commitment to love him or her until, as many of us or most of us have vowed, till we're parted by death. And what does it look like in every season to display the love of Jesus in our relationship with our spouse, children, and parents? Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Another group that would have been marginalized in Paul's day would be children. Children didn't have rights. And so for Paul to address children and to implore them to live in a way that's consistent with their Christian faith also is, is far beyond and advancing beyond what would have been the accepted cultural norms of the day, just as it was with marriage. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Again, submit to your parents out of reverence for Christ. Um, honor them. And then parents, fathers, don't um, provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So if you're a kid, <laughs> your call is to live in relationship with your parents in such a way that, that you submit to them, that you obey them, that you believe that they're God's gift in your life. If they're a godly, faithful example, even when they're calling you to embrace and do things that you think are crazy, or they're just trying to keep you back from that which would ultimately satisfy you. As a follower of Christ, seeing your parents in your life as God's blessing, acknowledging their wisdom, and submitting to them, and obeying them, and walking in the way that God's called you to live, honoring them. And then parents, looking at your kids with compassion, remembering that you used to be in their place, that you didn't come a fully formed follower of Jesus, or that you didn't come with all the maturity and experience you have now. So when you're tempted to be exasperated with your kids, when you're tempted to go beyond the instruction of the Lord, and, and maybe even it becomes personal and you're trying to take out in some measure your own vengeance upon your kids if you're not careful, stepping back and remembering that they're just kids that they're trying the best they can in, in a world that I would, I would offer to you is, is even harder and challenging than the world that I grew up in. To seek the way of Christ and to live in faithfulness to Him so that our, our relationships as parents and children is transformed by the gospel and the compassion of Christ and the humility and the submitting to each other out of reverence for Jesus is at work in our um, relationships between parents and kids. I mean, finally, and the relationships between bond servants and masters. Bond servants, or literally slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will to the Lord, not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This passage and other passages like it, household codes have been used by believers in the past even to justify the institution of slavery. 
And, and I, th I think that does great damage to Scripture and it does great damage to what it is that Paul has in mind here. Remember, slavery was such a part of the fabric of society that Paul was living in. And though it was different than what you and I often have in mind when we think about slavery, especially the slavery that took place here in America, um, Paul was advancing the rights of slaves and he was calling masters to this greater level of living out their faith and their relationship um, with the slaves um, that they were in relationship with in the day. Today, in our Bible scripture reading plan, you may be able to figure out what day we filmed this by that. We read Philemon. And, and, and Paul's instruction to Philemon to receive Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ, and to treat Onesimus just like he would treat Paul himself. Paul is applying the gospel in faithful ways that would ultimately allow Christians to be at the forefront of abolishing slavery. And so we see that Paul's taking this temporary cultural institution that was at work in his day, and he's applying the good news of Christ to it in such a way that it transforms it. And masters who may have thought that they were in charge and answered to no one, Paul, in very clear terms, says, remember that your master is in heaven and there's no partiality with him, that he treats all people equally, and that you will stand in judgment for how you treat other people. And thanks be to God that, that Christians understood and saw the trajectory of a passage like this and the overall teaching of the gospel and so that that relationship is no longer a part of the society in which we live in America, at least not to the extent that it was once in, in our history. So how is the gospel on display um, in your life? How is it that Paul is calling us, even today, to submit ourselves to other people out of reverence for Jesus? To see that yeah, there's, there's differences in us as male and female. There's even differences in us as, as parents and children, these different roles that we play um, in society for the good of the church and for the flourishing of human society at large. How has our understanding of the gospel so transformed and shaped how we live in relationship with each other that people can see the gospel on display in our lives? Thank you for sticking with me. I know it was a longer lesson today, but we had all these issues and cultural things to navigate in a long passage. But I, I hope that at the end of the day, you walk away with the idea of asking yourself in the church, in the family, in my most intimate relationships, how am I giving up my life and my rights for the good of other people, that the gospel of Jesus Christ might be seen in and through me. I think we have a wonderful opportunity to bear witness to the reality of our faith in Christ, not just in word and talk, but in how we actually live in relationship with others. I invite you to pray with me. Oh Lord, we need your help in these areas. Um, we like to be the Lord of our own lives. We like to call the shots for who we are. We like to, um, unfortunately, think about our participation in every area of our lives in light of how it benefits us. And so we ask forgiveness for that self-centeredness and that individualism that keeps us from experiencing the true joy, the blessing of the gospel of laying down our lives for others. So make our church a community that's marked by greater submission to each other out of reverence for Jesus. Make our marriages places where we lay down our lives for our spouse um, 
make our relationships in our homes with, with parents and children such that children see their parents as God's gift to them and that parents um, faithfully um, steward their kids in a way that shows them their compassion and their love as they seek to show them the path that will lead to ultimate um, fulfillment in Jesus. Lord, we need your help desperately to live this out. We thank you that we can move forward, hopefully knowing that you, by your Spirit at work, we offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.